Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11, looking at chapter 11 and 12 this morning. title of our study is, Be Careful to Obey God. Again, as we've been looking at the book of Deuteronomy, we've seen that Moses is a wise instructor. He devoted the first five chapters of this book, reviewing the past, helping uh, Israel and really the new generation appreciate that all that God had done for them. In chapter 6 through 11, uh, he told the people how they should respond to the goodness of God, that they should love him in return, and really why they should obey God, right? We look at those motivations. But more than anything else, Moses wanted the people to grow and mature in their faith. He wanted them to have a close relationship with God so they could enter into the land, conquer the enemy, and enjoy the inheritance to the glory of God. The same is true for the church today. Israel and the church are, are separate entities, but I believe as a pastor, I'm called to teach the Word of God, to help you mature in your faith, to grow in Christ. And grow in your love and knowledge of him. So you can enter into the blessings that God has for you. That you can be an overcomer. And that you can enjoy life to the glory of God. So there's a lot in these two chapters. I'm just going to warn you up front. So buckle up. We were talking about seatbelts earlier. Buckle up. Uh, here we go. So we're going to look at the first 12 verses here. In chapter 11. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God. And keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God. His greatness and his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to the horses and their chariots, how may the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, what he did to, to Dathan and to the Abiram, the sons of Elab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all their substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares 
And the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. We'll pause there. We see there's a kind of a, a beginning of this chapter, and it's starting off with the word therefore. As Bible students, we've been trained anytime we see the word therefore, we're to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? And in the context here, this is in light of talking about what the Lord has done for Israel. And so Moses reminding the next generation of all that God has done for them. And these were young children, uh, youth at the time. And I tried to imagine what it would be like crossing the Red Sea. And I don't know if they saw fish like going by as they're walking on dry land, uh, crossing the Red Sea and, and then watching the waters collapse on the Egyptian army. These, these, these people were kids. They were younger. They were 20 years and younger of age at that time. And so they saw all these wonderful miracles that God had done for them. And they also saw that their uh, parents didn't get to go into the promised land because of their unbelief. And so now they are going to be able to go into the promised land. And so Moses is reminding this generation that this is the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A land flowing of milk and honey. A land that's promised to them that all they have to do is go in and trust the Lord and to enter in by faith. At the same time, I was thinking about this. It's a reminder to those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you didn't have godly parents growing up. Maybe your parents didn't set the best example for you. The good news is you can be like this generation and, and change your family tree and say, we're going to pursue the Lord. As it says in um, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can make that determination that I'm going to raise my kids in the Lord. I'm going to make sure that we're going to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ and be a household, a family that focuses upon him, realizing he's the foundation. So once Israel was going to settle in the land, they would have these festivals and celebrations to participate, such as Passover. There'd be built-in reminders for them as well to remember what God had done for them and that he was still with them and cared for them in the land. And so Moses reminds this new generation that God cares for them. Again, I think this is important that we teach the next generation that God cares for them, and that God has won freedoms for them, and even our founding fathers have established freedoms in our nation. And if we don't teach the next generation, they will take freedom for granted. They'll hand over their lives and those freedoms to a new Pharaoh, right? Rather than submitting to God Almighty. So God cares for us. He desires that we love him and we also love our neighbors as ourselves. We live unto the Lord, the one who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Then we can show that we care for others, right? The Father sent the Son, for us. We can use our lives to bring others to the Lord. So Jesus came to redeem the world from the curse of sin and bring us back to himself, bring us back in fellowship and harmony with the Father. And so we see that this is God's desire for the people, is that they would stay in fellowship with him. They would realize that as they go into this land, that their days would be prolonged by listening to the Lord and remembering his love and his care for them. Well, next we'll move into the latter part of this chapter.
And we'll see that God has blessings for his people if they obey. And we'll take a look at that here in verse 13. And we'll go through verse 32. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. Verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness, of, uh, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put a dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. Verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you to, into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gezerim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting of the sun in the land of the Canaanites? To dwell on the plain opposite of Gilgal, beside the terebinth trees of Morai? For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you should be careful to observe all the statutes and the judgments which I set before you today. We'll pause there. We see that God reminds the people that He causes the rain to fall. We're told that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But here we see that God causes rain on the land so the people can grow food. But there would be a temptation to go and worship as the other nations did. When the weather didn't go as they had wanted. And that's exactly what Israel ended up doing with, with Baal or Baal uh, on Mount Carmel. That they would go and they would offer sacrifices to this weather God. The God that could bring rain as God had has caused a 
a famine and, and caused a drought upon the land because they had turned to idols and worshiping this, this false deity. And so we see God brought Elijah there to have this kind of this competition of gods. Whose God is the real God? Whose God can really control the weather? And we see the 450 prophets of, of Baal danced around it and cut themselves and offered sacrifices. And Elijah said, hey, grab some water and douse it on the sacrifice I have and keep doing that. And, and there was enough that went all the way around in a trench. And then he prayed. And God brought fire and consumed the sacrifice. And the people fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God. And so then the people had their hearts turned back towards the Lord, and God brought rain again on the land. And so we see that when they brought their hearts back in tune with the Lord, he provided the rain for them. And it's a reminder that God's in control of our lives, but he also gives us the free will of responsibility. We have to choose how we're going to live our life, to live it for self and the ways of the world, or choose to live it in a way that honors the Lord, to pursue him. And we see here in verse 18 through 21, a reminder to those of us who are parents or grandparents, responsibility to train up our kids in the ways of the Lord, to point them to Jesus, and then also live out the example ourselves, right? Not just say, do as I say, not as I do, but to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, right? That they can say, hey, mom and dad aren't perfect. We make mistakes, but we're quick to say, we're sorry, forgive us, make things right. And it sets them that example that, hey, when they make a mistake, they can do the same thing. And so we see that we need to live out our lives to the Lord. And it's so important, God tells us again, we need to teach this and train us to our kids all throughout the day. As we're walking, as we're talking, as we're lying down, as we're rising up, as we're running errands, wherever we're going, to talk about the things of the Lord, to point them to Jesus. I was talking to someone recently, and it reminded me that some people only attend church because their children like the kids' ministry. There's a lot of fun and games and excitement taking place, and, and this person was reminding me, as in our conversation, the church they were going to, they really didn't get anything out of the message, and they just felt exhausted. They felt burnt out. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, that's not really a good example for your kids. And I was telling this gal, you know, when you're on an airplane, the flight attendant comes over the speakers and says, hey, in case there's a loss in cabinet pressure, the oxygen mask fall, make sure you take that mask and you first put it on yourself before you, then you begin to assist your, your kids or those near you. And I said, well, why do you think they, they do that? And she said, I don't know. And I said, because you, you need that oxygen, right? If you don't have oxygen, you're going to stop breathing and die. And the truth is, if you want to try and help others without making sure you've got that oxygen, you're not going to last very long. But if you secure that, then you can then help others. And the picture that if that's physically, how much more spiritually, that we need the nourishment from the Lord, we need to be poured into, we need the oxygen in our lungs of, of what Christ has for us before then we can use that to pour into others, before we can pour into our spouse and pour into our kids. So God tells us that that this is important, that we're fed spiritually so then we can make sure we're training up our kids. It's been said it, it's hard to lead someone to a destination if you haven't been there yourself. Right? You can only take people as far as you are on the journey. And so it's important that we are spending time with the Lord. Now we are 
receiving from the Lord that we can pour into our kids and to our spouse. And I find personally it's oftentimes when I'm teaching that I'm learning even more than just reading. It's when I'm teaching the Word of God, and whether in this setting or in the settings at home, um, having discussion as a family, it causes us to grow. It causes us to, to dig deeper into the Word of God and grow in our faith, and really then live it out as well. Set an example for them as they get older to do the same with their kids someday. So this is why here in verse 22 and onward, God says, Be careful to obey His commands and show you love Him by walking in His ways, following Him closely. If Israel wanted to go into the land and possess it and remain in the land to enjoy it, they had to obey the commandments of the Lord. Because the reality is God owned that land and he owns all the land. It all belongs to him. Pastor Warren Wiersbe said, In Christ we have all spiritual blessings, but we can't enjoy them unless we believe God's promises and obey his commands. It's easier to wear a cross necklace than to bear Christ's cross daily in our life, to hang scripture on the walls of our homes than to hide God's word in our hearts. If we love the Lord, we'll want to know his word and obey it in every area of our lives. So true, right? The proof is in the pudding, some have said, right? I don't even know where that phrase comes from, but I remember hearing that all the time as a kid. <laughs> so people want to see you live out your faith. And I remember my pastor shared this, that, and I've said this with my, my family. I know my family would rather see a sermon than hear one. It's easy to say something, but then to live it out is a whole nother action. And maybe you know people that say, I'm a Christian, but then you look at their life and you're like, I really don't see any fruit from your life that backs up that statement that you're a Christ follower, right? And we want to make sure that we are living lives that back that up, that we're pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, pursuing his word. We're hiding his word in our hearts and then living it out and sharing that with others. So the nation of Israel had to make a choice whether to obey God and enjoy his blessings or disobey him and experience his correction and his judgment. And we see once the Jews enter the land, uh, Joshua chapter 8 would record this. They were at Mount Ebal. They would recite the curses. At Mount Gezerim, they would recite the blessings. And after each blessing and curse was read, the people would say, Amen, which means so be it. Let God's word be true. And the truth is, God's principles never change. They're still true today. And he blesses us when we obey. He will correct us when we disobey. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this, how God disciplines those he loves. He loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough to remind us in the way that we should be going and walking with him. As I was thinking about this, I just did a quick search online at how many books there were on the promises of God, and there are a lot of them. I did another search for books on uh, the curses or the wrath of God. I didn't really find any. <laughs> it kind of tells you people want one part of this, but they don't want to look at the other part of this. But God tells us there's blessings if we obey, and there's consequences. There's reality of correction and wrath if we don't. And oftentimes we bring those things upon ourselves instead of listening to the Lord. 
But as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we overcome the appetites of the flesh. And God's righteousness is fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ. We can overcome through what God has provided for us. So God reminds Israel of this truth, and I think there's a principle for us there as well in recognizing that. Now, as we go into chapter 12, this moves into a new section, chapter 12 all the way to chapter 26. And Moses applies the law to Israel's new state in the promised land. He sets before them responsibilities they have to fulfill in the promised land, to live like God's chosen people, not like servants of Pharaoh, and that they should be faithful in the land. So there's responsibilities in following the Lord, and we'll see some of those apply to us as well. So with that, let's take a look at the first 14 verses here in chapter 12 together. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land, which the Lord your God of your fathers is given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, break the sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God of your God chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come into the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross over the Jordan, dwell in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safely. And there you will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. You shall rejoice before me, the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself. You do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. We'll pause there. We see here in the first four verses or so in chapter 12 this strong rebuke against worshiping the Lord the way that the pagan nations worship God. We also see a reminder that we're to remove those things from our life that are a distraction and deterrent against pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's a strong rebuke here about worshiping God as the culture worships its many false gods. As verse 8 says, our pattern of worship changes when we follow God. We no longer worship self or 
worldly stuff or fleeting pleasures. Our passions change for the Lord. Our interests change. When everyone does what's right in their own eyes, we get relativism, where truth is no longer truth. Marriage, gender, sin, God, they're all redefined in our culture today. Yes, two different people, and you'll get different answers. And when this invades the church, it ends in disaster. When pastors say, well, we can't be certain about Jesus and him really being the only Savior or the way to heaven, or, well, we can't really be certain that this part of the Bible is actually inspired and true, and we need to unhinge that part from our study, and we shouldn't really say that the Bible says anymore because the people don't understand that, and uh, we can't really know if it's 100% uh, certain in God's word that begins on a slippery slope towards evil and deception and so we live in a world that has abandoned absolute truths promotes relativism which is you can do whatever you want your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth so as long as it helps you and it doesn't harm anyone else and they even say that religions are just as good as another religion but it's not politically correct to claim Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. That'll get in a heap of trouble, apparently. I don't know if you heard about the guy down at the Mall of America that had a shirt on it that says, Jesus saves, and on the back had coexist crossed out and said, there's only one way to heaven. Apparently, that was enough to get him in trouble because somebody said that shirt is offensive. So mall security came over and said, we need you to take your shirt off or turn inside out or put something else on to cover that or you got to leave. And he's like, why? Well, because someone said what they saw on your shirt was offensive. And he's like, what? What do, you, what do you mean? And they said, we have no, no proselytizing rule in here. He's like, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm just minding my own business, shopping. And when you realize this is the way the world is heading, right? Had that guy worn a shirt that said, Allah saves, no one would have done anything, right? But it's because there's power in the name of Christ, right? Even the demons flee and tremble. And so we see that people realize that there is truth, and they try and suppress that truth. And so that's the culture we're living in. And we see here in verse 13, it says, You don't worship God just any way you like. You worship God as he desires to be. You see, true worship is God-centered. It's, it's not man-centered. And people get caught up in where they should worship, what music they should worship, how long they should worship, the lighting and all that, and what worship looks like to other people. But focusing on those things miss the whole point. Worship is not about you and about me. Worship is about Jesus. And, and I, I love it. I remember one pastor said they had a time of worship, and somebody came up, and they said, you know, Pastor, I really didn't get much out of that worship time. I just really didn't feel anything. He said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. It wasn't about you. <laughs> it's a reminder to us, worship is about the Lord, right? And as the people of God, we must worship him the way he commands, not to imitate the religious practices of others. And I think how tragic it is when congregations imitate the world. They turn Christian worship into entertainment, the sanctuary of God into theater, Again, worship is about Christ. And Jesus tells us that true worship of God is done in spirit and in truth. As John 
chapter 4, verse 24 says, those who want to worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that means from the heart, the way that God's designed us to worship, from our heart with him. And worship's not limited to one act, just something we do on Sundays together. Worship is how we conduct our lives. Right? Our lives are a living sacrifice unto the Lord, as it says in Romans, uh, I believe, chapter 12, that we are to be living sacrifices unto him. And so we see that God desires that, that we live a life that glorifies him from the heart, a life lived with the attitude of our heart in the right place to give God glory in all that we say and all that we do. And we'll see it here in this latter part of chapter 12 that God also has a call for the Israelites to respect life. And we'll see that that applies to us as well as we pick up here in chapter 12, verse 15. He says, However you may slaughter and eat meat with, within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain but, uh, or your new wine or your oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock of any of your offerings which you vow, of your freewill offerings or of the heave offerings of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses you and your son and your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates. You should rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God enlarges your border, as he's promised you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. Amen. <laughs> Verse 21. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. You may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires, just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it, you shall, not, you shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Verse 29. And when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself, that you were not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. 
You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. We'll pause there. We see in this last section, the Lord's call for them to respect life. The Bible says that for Israel, it was a blessing to eat meat that was kosher. And that was also without blood. Now, if you're a vegetarian, may the Lord bless you. Uh, that's awesome. But if you meet, like to eat meat, great, enjoy it. Uh, God provided that for the people. And, and he wanted them to know that life was in the blood. That they were not to partake of the blood. And by following this procedure, the Jews not only showed respect for the gift of life, but even to the animals. They showed respect that the animal gave its life for the worshiper. And that points us to Jesus Christ. Right? He poured out his life's blood on the cross for us. In the book of Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness apart from blood being shed. And Christ did that for you and for me. And that's why he's reminding them to respect life, to be good stewards of life, right? That we're to be caretakers of animals, of people, of creation. He's given us dominion over those things to be good stewards of them. In the Genesis, there was a legislation that God prohibited the shedding of human blood, the eating of animal blood, and he established also what we call today capital punishment. And he did this because humans are made in the image and the likeness of God. And God gives them that intricate value. Each person has value from the Lord. So to rob a person of God's gift of life is evil. It's been said, as we take a look at this latter part, uh, as they begin to inquire about the gods of the land, it's been said before that curiosity killed the cat. Again, I don't know where that phrase comes from, but it's true, right? And Romans 16, 19, it says that God wants his people to be wise in what is good and innocent is what is evil. We do not have to experience sin to know that sin is deadly, to know that sin is evil. We can see other people doing it and go, not going that way. I'm going to avoid that path. That does not look like it's a good destination. That does not look fun. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. He's promised to take care of me. Life is good with him. Why bother trying to find it something somewhere else? Because it's going to be empty anyways. I'm not going to find that satisfaction. Only going to find that in the Lord. So the Israelites who then would wanted to go investigate these evil practices, a lot of people such as the Canaanites, they were in danger of tempting themselves, giving Satan opportunity to move in. And so they were to be wise and stay close to God. And I believe we too are to be wise to stay close to the Lord. And when we don't listen to God, we follow the culture, we end up with the consequences. As verse 30 says, take heed that you are not ensnared to follow the world. That evil customs and the false gods of today, as verse 31 says, they were sacrificing their children. That's sadly even practiced today, not only in America, but now around the world. I don't know if you've heard recently, but 
Minnesota politician St. Paul keep passing legislation to take the life of unborn babies, even up to the last breath before they're born at nine months old. I've contacted our government representative and strongly insist that they vote no on that legislation that unfortunately passed recently and anything else like it. And it was interesting because I was looking at this last night. Uh, Republicans offered 65 amendments to the bill to look after things like Down syndrome, if there's a heartbeat or uh, a late term that perhaps we should consider there be an ultrasound and all these amendments. And the Democrats said no on all 65. And it was interesting, in their discussions and debates as I was listening, the left couldn't even say when life begins, yet they were so eager to make laws to end it. And, and Minnesota Right to Life said that bills like uh, the House floor, the Senate floor one bill, they promote laws of death, not life. Laws are meant to protect, right? Laws are meant to look for the betterment of the people. But we can get involved. Joseph made preparations to provide food for the people in Egypt. Esther and Mordecai stood for the life of their people in Persia. Daniel was in exile in Babylon. He sought the welfare of Babylon and his people. John the Baptist, the New Testament, he said some words to Herod and corrected him, called him out on his sin. And Jesus said, there's no one greater than John the Baptist, born of woman. So either we can worship the culture, we cannot get involved and keep to ourselves and let the world do its thing and rule and and make a, a mess of the world that we're living in. Or we can worship God with all that we say and all that we do. We can show people we love God and we love people, that we care about life, we care about others. The Bible says we're called to pray, to seek the Lord in these things. We're called to bring the good news that Jesus can set people free. And then we're called to act. We're called to find ways that we can help people, to help the poor, care for them, and the disabled, and those that need assistance. So in closing, verse 32 says, Do not add anything to God's command or subtract from them. The standard for worship is reflected in God's word. It's not in human preference or opinion. God tells us how he desires us to live our lives and worship unto him. Again, the word helps us mature in our faith and grow so we can enjoy the blessings that God has for us. To be an overcomer, enjoy life to the glory of God. And I'm so thankful Jesus didn't come just to preach deliverance or even bring deliverance, but he came to be deliverance. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's the message that we need to continue to declare to this next generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the commands and the principles and the truth we find in your holy word. God, we ask that you'd help us to be people who live our lives obeying you, enjoying the blessings that come with that. Lord, that we would not just want to obey to get the blessings, but that we would obey because we know that your way is the best, that you love us, that you care for us, 
and that, Lord, we don't want to face all the consequences of the, the sin and the evils of this world. There's a blessing just in fellowship with you, a blessing of walking in the light, having peace among a, a crooked and perverse generation. We, God, we ask that you would set our hearts upon you, that our affections would be on your holy things, upon your word, upon heaven, and upon you, Jesus. We ask that you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflow, empower us to live lives of victory, to walk in your promises, to walk in your ways, to share the good news with those around us, that people can see that we're your followers by our love for one another. And God, we we humbly ask and pray if there's anyone here among us this morning or watching the live stream online or listening to this later on who need to make that decision of faith, to put their trust in you, we ask, God, that today would be their day of salvation. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me. I need to get right with God. I am not certain that if I died today, I'd be with the Lord in heaven. I need that cleansing. I need that forgiveness that you've talked about. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. They poured his life's blood for me, was buried and rose from the dead. I'm ready to turn my life over to him. If that's you this morning, you're ready to make that decision, I simply want to lead you in a prayer. I encourage you to mean it in your heart as you repeat this after me. God, I realize that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I believe, God, that you love me, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that he was buried and rose from the dead. Lord, please forgive me of all my sins as I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you and put your spirit within me that I may do your will. God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for adopting me into your family. And I thank you for being my Savior and my Lord and my friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus Christ or perhaps a rededication, let me know. I'd love to encourage you, pray with you, give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Mulder of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries. Check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study his word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.
life to you I give shout from the hill.